Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Hey there, welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader. My name is Doug Locke, and we're a little off script today again, but it's a, it's a great script. We have two uh, guests with us today to talk about digital innovation in biotech. I'll introduce them, uh, but you know, off our, our typical script, but looking forward to chatting with these gentlemen. First, uh, I'll choose Rishi Thakral. And uh, Rishi, I actually remember doing some uh, reference checks 10 years ago, a decade ago. You've checked the boxes on all things promised, uh, a digital innovator, You've been great on execution and strategy. It's been a pleasure collaborating with you. But uh, Rishi is vice president um, at uh, and life sciences digital lead at Aquis Cortico X. He's got 20 years of transformation experience and uh, adjunct professor at Rutgers, which I didn't know about. But, so welcome, Rishi. Thank you. And Rick, while I only know you a year, it felt like a decade because you've established so much wisdom uh, upon me. Um, uh, Rick is uh, Vice President of Digital Innovation at Equus Cortico X, 30-year career spanning digital innovation in multiple industries. I'm looking forward to maybe bringing in some of those insights, Rick, from other industries for our, our listeners and uh, faculty at uh, University of Southern California. So very impressive, both of you. We are an August group. Wait, I thought maybe I'll preface a, a Cortico X is a, is a group at Aquas Consulting, somewhat family to SSI. We were birthed out of Aquas as well but now we're separate entities. However, know the team quite well, almost intimate uh, uh, friends and family. So we've deliver, delivered together on all things digital and that's coming from the Atlas Cortico X team. So thank you for that guys. Moving forward, today's discussion, we're gonna talk about the challenge in front of the biotech company uh, in, in terms of digital innovation, which is a substantial one. They're, a, it's not their capital you know, assumption of what they're they're working on, which is, their th therapeutic asset, their clinical strategy, maybe their approach for CMC. These are the things they're really worried about. And digital is maybe an enabler to you know, achieving some of those targets. And they're further exacerbated by their colleagues and their teammates come from different companies with different pretext and background, maybe bringing some of the tools they've used in other forms and organizations in tow, and they put that pressure on the organization. So they're trying to figure out their direction as a company. They're trying to figure out their clinical and translational strategy. Maybe the sub functions uh, that we might talk about are also in play. And then they've got this, this pressure on, A, the digital landscape is changing around them and that's all they hear about, and generative AI and should we be doing these things? And then B, all of these different influences around them, maybe without a federated model and someone that is there to say, hey, this is the strategy we should use. Sometimes they don't have that person. So you can imagine the vectors that are hitting the executive teams and the boards of our sometimes well-funded, sometimes underfunded client partners. And then digital innovation happens, right? Magic. So there's the challenge. Um, so Rick, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, you've dealt with this in this industry and others. What should our listeners make of a challenge like that? The good news and the bad news are the same news. Um, and so the... Um... And it is in the form that, um, you know, uh, a lot of the clients that we have the pleasure of working with are, you know, um, in terms of size and scale, you know, maybe a tier below the global behemoth um, fortune two, 
you know, kind of kind of company. Um, and a lot of those companies, kind of, the, the, those companies that you're kind of psych themselves out. I was like, wow, we don't have the same money. We don't have the resources. We don't have um, the technology base to work from. And um, you're right. You don't have those things. That's the bad news. The good news is that you don't have those things. Um, digital is a game about speed and agility. It's really hard, not impossible, but hard for a massive entity to be fast and agile. It is comparatively easy for a smaller entity, not small, but a smaller entity than one of those big behemoths to do that. And so we can um, find ways to where not only do you not need to be concerned about can I compete, um, you have a competitive advantage due to your size um, and you can um, realize greater gains at a faster rate than those larger companies. And that's a pretty cool thing, if I recall my Capitalism 101A, uh, to be able to do that with speed, with space, uh, uh, at pace and with excellence. Any thoughts, Rick and, and or Rishi, I'll flip to Rishi in one minute, but any thoughts on what to do about the decentralized nature of some of the de decision making? Uh, that might go on in that setting where, you know, the world is their oyster, there there's many directions to go to your point, but yet they have to make some decisions. And, you know, of course, we're going to assert they should do so with the therapeutic advancement in mind, that that's what should be their guiding post. But what are your thoughts about what an organization should do when it has decentralized, you know, decision making about digital innovation? Well, and that's, so you already said the magic word, you said um, federated earlier on, Doug, every digital um, operating model accountability framework that we see work is federated. It is decentralized. That's actually a blessing because you want um, the decision-making around digital to be as close to the point where it's being used as possible. You don't want it back up in the centralized hierarchical command and control structure. The thing that's a little bit different is figuring out how you can work in a way where you still have some centralized control in the form of um, guardrails versus guidelines, right? And collaboration and curation versus control. Um, and I guess the good news on that is that not only is that a solvable problem, it's a solved problem. Um, and there are a lot of models based on what kind of organization it is that would uh, fit best that allow you to maintain that kind of nimbleness from decentralization while being able to put just enough control, right? Just enough structure and synchronization across the top that it doesn't become chaos, right? Um, and, and so it's, um, again, it, the size of a lot of the clients that we have lends itself better to that than some of those massive organizations. But let me, um, I, I know Rishi's got some thoughts on this, so let me ask Rishi to jump in here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, federated or not federated is something, as you said, has been solved. But, you know, if, if I take a step back and I and I think about my experience when I interact with a lot of the firms who are trying to invest in digital, um, even if those firms uh, have the best interest and desire to invest in digital, very often, as you said, we don't have they don't have the right resources. And, and when you think about that, it becomes a challenge of making sure that your digital strategy has to be aligned to the company strategy. There has to be the right federated buying model so you can make sure that there's no redundancy in spend or there is no duplication in spend and you're spending sensibly 
uh, and not just because it's the flavor of the month. And you have to make sure that, that it's in line with the therapeutic direction. So having limited resources and also most importantly, Doug, as you also mentioned, that very often there isn't any dedicated team with the right um, mix of biotech and digital expertise. And what does this then translate to? There is a finite amount of people, there's a finite amount of time, and there is finite amount of money. And so organizations are afraid um, of the immense burden they think that digital investment uh, is going to bring to their organization. They're already challenged with their uh, with their operations on a day-to-day basis. They, they wonder as to how to determine which technology, which solution provider to invest in, and how, most importantly, to prioritize their investments in these capabilities. And finally, they wonder about, will I really get the, in, uh, in the ROI um, and will I be able to justify all this spend? So really what they're looking for is they're looking for a trusted partner who understands the medical business and approaches digital uh, from a therapeutic and patient outcome perspective. And so the leadership must ensure that there is adoption of these investment capabilities, but also this, there is sustainability uh, through things like a digital operating model or the right amount of change management and governance. And if you don't do these things in a coordinated, succinct manner, then any investment in digital is not going to bear fruit. So really what they need to um, get, and that's what um, we try to do, is to enable a cohesive strategy to reduce this organizational burden and fear that they have. We create this seamless intersection of the holistic set of digital solutions as well as it being aligned to their therapeutic goals. And that's where I think um, companies uh, want to go, but they struggle with this. Very interesting. I mean, you a lot to take down there, Rishi, and I'm gonna challenge you on, on, I've seen you do this because we've had projects where that decentralized, you know, the clinical team needs a solution and the medical affairs team wants to use this portal. and. Uh, you know, CMC is underfunded and they need to do something huge. And that's the most important strategic inflection point for the company. So as you said, it needs to be therapeutically aligned, but how, and you talked about change management. It sounds like, it sounds magical when you say it, but how do we align the, those competing priorities? And, in, uh, and you know, ROI is one thing, but even just, I know many companies would just take alignment to the therapeutic you know, targets, the, the real priorities of the company right now and maybe six months from now. They would take it, right? They wouldn't even need to see ROI if they knew it was contributing to the value of the company and its mission and what it might need to do in six months to raise funds and all those other good things or engage patients or whatever its milestone was, right? How do, how do you create the change management? And what are some of the functions that we're seeing competing for those early stage, you know, dollars and, and resource attempts? So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so, you know, it comes down to having the right right uh, team on the ground. I mean, you have to always start off with a, a strategic assessment. And when you do this strategic assessment, you got to do it with a team that has medical expertise, that has business expertise, as well as that has digital expertise that can best evaluate the business objectives and goals and thereby, through that evaluation, identify gaps, but more importantly, identify the opportunities that are there 
um, in order to be able to invest in digital capabilities. And while you're doing that, you're looking at your internal uh, business goals, your internal programs and projects, and also looking at the competitive landscape and thereby taking all these factors and all these moving moving factors into account to come up with a, with a strategic plan that is going to work for that particular uh, organization. One size does not fit all. Organization A may have certain priorities, organization B may have certain priorities, and they may be at a different point in their therapeutic trajectory. So you've got to take all of this, and it starts off with a very, very thorough strategic assessment. But then once you do that strategic assessment and come out with a, with a very defined strategic plan, then you get down to the process planning and the tools. And, and you've got to, at that point, design the processes that can withstand the investment and adoption of the digital capabilities, but also make sure that, is, that, that um, those processes can be executed on. They are realistic and you need to have the right team to enable and to navigate those programs successfully. And then while you're doing that, you're obviously also looking at the tools and the technologies but I always say to my clients, it's not just about the tools and the technologies. It's about what you set up around those tools and technologies. Only then there will be success. You have to make sure there's digital adoption. There is a digital um, <clears throat> operating model. Um, there is change management, program management. All those supporting pillars are equally important uh, alongside your digital and technology investment. I'd like to go upstream for a second and maybe bring Rick in. So where you just were, right? You, the, the strategic plan is on the table and you've reconciled maybe some of these competing priorities for you know, uh, maybe therapeutic oriented prioritization, right? This is what the company needs to do, not what clinical needs to do. This is what the company needs to do, right? Rick, given you're the ombudsman of all things digital, uh, what are some of the things, what are some of the methodologies and ways to socialize. So Rishi's assumed the board, and by the way, he's good at doing this, so I know why he's doing it. He, the board is fully harmonized with the, the strategic priorities and the directions. Leadership is communicated effectively to team A, why team B is getting the, the tool that they've asked for, right? We know that doesn't happen easily. What are some of the methods of you know, helping with the governance threads and the relative prioritization you know, in this industry or others? Let me provide a bit of context and then I promise I will answer that. So we can, um, you know, we're consultants. Our job is to help our clients solve problems. And so we can get very uh, sort of like the language of avoiding the negative. There's two really cool things about digital, like really cool things about digital. One, digital breaks time and space, right? We are always constrained by time and space. We don't have to be in a digital world. That's enormously powerful. Here's the other dirty secret of digital. It is enormously fun. It is really fun. And here's why that's important. Like, because what makes it fun is you can get a drug to market faster. That's fun. You can get it to market faster with an improvement in all of your quality metrics. That's big fun, right? And you can get it there faster with an improvement in quality and People like interacting with you more than they ever have before. That's spectacular, mind-bogglingly good fun. So that ties to the question you asked, Doug, in the following way. Um, most, well, actually every client 
I've ever worked with. You know, yeah, folks feel like I need my thing and I need my thing. Of course they do. And they've got things that they're answerable to and metrics that they're held to. But I haven't really come across anyone who doesn't understand, like, we got X amount of money right now, X number of people and X amount of time. So we're going to have to phase things a little bit. Um, we're doing this one. And from this one, we're also able to, and this is the nature of digital, put in some foundational pieces that will make it easier and better for what you're looking for in phase two. And in the digital world, phase two isn't 18 months from now. It's like eight weeks, right? You know, I mean, it happens very, very fast. Um, and so we find that we have to do um, a little bit of um, digital education, right? Like, what are the timelines? We always say digital is faster. Well, how much faster? Um, we'll talk about foundational pieces. Well, um, the first group that we identified that's going to get their tool their tool not only delivers value to the company in however we define that, whether it's speed, whether it's return on investment, whatever it may be, but it also puts in a foundational piece that multiple others can use, but this would be the group that has to use it first. Great. Now folks are starting to see a trade-off. If they never see a path to getting what they, they know they need, that becomes unrecoverable. Right. Um, but that never has to be the case in digital. Digital is rarely a zero sum game. Um, it's just a timing game. Rick, relative to, to timing, and I'll flip over Rishi in a minute, but uh, it, by the way, you did make it fun. And the, the, there's the one to 10 years right there, Rick. Thank you for show, showcasing it during. <laughs> How do we ensure that the solution, you know, for the six months we're working on follows a thesis? that's appropriate for the company. So you know, like part of the lack of federation or like someone being on point for all these decisions can lead to decentralized you know, and, and solutions that actually don't work together over a longer haul and all, you know, but how do we weave that into the rubric or the assessment to ensure that we're making smart choices for the next six months that work for a more integrated viewpoint two years from now? It, it, it's in what Rishi was talking about, but it's the very beginning. Right at the very beginning, before we get to, are you ready for digital? Do you have this tool and that tool and this core system and that core system? We get to like, what do you need to get done? Like as a business, what is the what are the outcomes you need? Let us worry about how we find the appropriate tools, toys, and inputs. But if we understand what you need, then we can assess like, okay, what's in our way? That's really what the assessment's doing. What's in our way? And once we understand that, then we can prioritize the investments and we create living governance, right? So there are steering committees. These aren't big, cumbersome, hard things. Steering committees that are meeting on a weekly basis that are reporting directly back to the leadership of the company to make sure that we stay on point and that um, uh, discipline A hasn't drifted, right? Um, and if they have, maybe they have a good reason, right? You know, the cool thing about digital is that you, the world can get bigger on you faster and sometimes in valuable ways and sometimes in hurtful ways. So that we have a constant iteration from leadership to steering committee to line level to leader to steering committee to line level. Um, and it doesn't become that hard to manage. Didn't interrupt you. Visibility and communication and governance and, and, and creating that, uh, you know, uh, a chain of authority that people are aware of going on. Right. With predictable cadence and 
predictable cadence and frequency. That's a big, big part of it. And just to add to that, you know, every every digital investment doesn't have to be this huge multi-platform, large-scale investments. You have to do. You have to be willing to run proof of concepts. Do it quick. Do it in an agile minor, uh, manner and check uh, if you are uh, if you are still aligned to your uh, to your goals and your objectives. And if you are, well and good. If you're not, tweak, reiterate, right? Go back. Uh, continuous learning. And that's how you're going to be able to make sure that your digital investment goes a long way because you've you've tested, you've evaluated along the whole journey. And by doing that in an agile manner becomes very powerful and very successful. All right, Rishi. Well, you know, you're kind of the master of methodologies. There's, there's actually one from you in my inbox right now that I owe you a review session on. Um, could you please talk about what we're seeing on the ground as some of the areas that are ripe for innovation and what are some of the uh, you know, functional uh, assessment areas that you've been engaged in frequently? What are some of the hot spaces right now? Yeah, so you know, if you're looking at it from a functional perspective, sometimes um, in smaller firms, you can even look at it at, a, at an R&D level, but let's look at it uh, from a standpoint of a clinical space or medical affairs space or drug safety space. And some of the things I've been noticing in clinical, and as we can, as we as we know that the, the challenge of clinical is always to uh, complete your clinical trials as fast as possible with the right patients um, and getting the right level of data. And with so many tools and touch points within that continuum, it becomes very challenging uh, for firms to run clinical trials um, in an efficient and successful manner. So decentralized clinical trials is becoming very pervasive and, and uh, popular uh, in the biotech uh, industry. And, and, and those solution providers who uh, often now have started integrating multiple capabilities and introducing AI-based analytics on top of that um, and drive solutions through those capabilities are becoming very successful. And by adopting these decentralized clinical trials capabilities, firms can uh, really streamline the complexity of their, of their uh, clinical trials. They can enable holistic data generation and many, many more benefits uh, come out through uh, investing in decentralized clinical trials. Then if you think about uh, the medical affairs space, uh, medical affairs is producing content, scientific medical content at, at more volume than ever before. And so companies have started using NLP, for example, using NLP for social media sentiment analysis can completely change your KOL engagement strategy because you can identify at the data level uh, which, uh, which KOL is resonating, what is their reach, uh, what is their, their level of interaction uh, with, with, uh, with the user community or the patient community. So using natural language processing through social media and capabilities around that can really help. And then if you look at drug safety, now drug safety is an area which is very regulated, very compliance driven. And out there, we're noticing that AI and ML, as well as contextual NLP models can speed up the entire case intake process because case intake is a huge burden on organizations and it can increase the quality, reduce errors, improve the compliance, and most importantly, reduce operational risk. And also companies, um, smaller companies especially, are very dependent on CROs. And by investing a little bit in these uh, capabilities, 
you can reduce that dependency on CROs. But not to forget that at the end of the day, it's all about the patient. So looking at the patient and HCP experience is also something that companies have started looking into, both from a clinical, medical affairs, and overall stakeholder interaction standpoint. And there are many, many digital capabilities that can help um, improve that. Maybe we should land the plane and talk about how we would engage uh, a client organization. And I just want to st- I want to start that discussion. And I'll flip it to you both. Our thesis collectively has been if we can combine our medical team and our throughput from an SSI perspective with the Cortico X digital innovation set, that we would have therapeutically aligned innovation. As in, we could assess the landscape of the organization. We know what they're trying to do clinically, medically, and how they're handling license to operate issues like safety and compliance and quality. So we're, and maybe we're even doing that work with them. That insight, you know, will a, you know, shortcut the process, but b provide the canvas and all the data by which a, an assessment would be, would be conducted. In this case, the client partner can be a, a, you know, obviously a major part of the interview approach and the assessment approach, but we can actually even short, you know, short circuit that process by cutting to the chase on some known knowns and also add to the context of knowing the organization to the assessment. So therapeutic knowledge against you know, digital knowledge, intersecting those two items in a delivery and assessment methodology is our key thesis and what we're putting into practice today. Maybe talk about engaging a client, the approach for uh, the engagement and things you've seen you know, make a, uh, such assessments and delivery efforts special. You know, as, as you said, Doug, rightfully, the strategic assessment is absolutely key, aligning from a medical perspective and then having the strategic plan develop accordingly, uh, which is also aligned with all the internal competitiveness that is going on. But, but I always say it's not just about digital for the sake of digital, that digital has to make sense for the organization. So when we, when we come into an organization and we bring in uh, a team that has the right level of medical expertise and the digital expertise, that's when we can be, uh, we can be successful. And after designing the right level of processes and the supporting pillars, and then doing a full-fledged uh, uh, market assessment, and also obviously uh, leveraging from what we have done in the past, what we've seen has been successful, what has not been so successful, and adopting methodologies to be able to do it in a faster and a more agile manner. I think that is what we've seen as very much successful. And that alignment uh, really reduces the burden on the organization. The organization can worry about running the business and we will worry about developing uh, the digital strategy and executing on it and supporting that strategy throughout its life cycle. I mean, it's not just about coming in and putting a strategy in place and then leaving because it's all about the implementation, working with the partners and making sure in the long run, they're seeing the benefits. So that's how we would approach it. Thanks, Rishi. Hey, Rick, um, you've been obviously on digital innovation projects that have been hugely successful, many different industries. When you look back, you know, what you're most proud of. And by the way, if you want to comment where we just were, feel free. But uh, when you look back at what you're most proud of, you know, what has been key to the engagement model that made the projects successful? It's the hypothesis, the thesis that you were just talking about. Right. So um, I've done digital a million places. 
right? Um, we've got folks um, in our joint team who have done medical affairs, science, life sciences in a bunch of places. There is an inherent tension between those two. Um, instead of running from that tension, we want to run at that tension because it takes both. When um, utilities started um, opening up to digital about 12 years ago, um, we did better when we had the digital guys like me running around completely flying off the handle paired with folks who knew that industry in and out, knew the regulatory um, obstacles and challenges, knew the technological challenges and complexity. We had to have both. Same thing happened in financial services, asset and wealth management, retail banking. When we went out and just did digital stuff for them, it wasn't as valuable for the client. When we went out and just did financial services stuff for them, it also wasn't as valuable for the client. When we um, ran at that tension point, right, and made sure that not only were we not trying to avoid it, we were fomenting um, the abrasion, we were able to come up with far better things. And I trace it back because I'm a very simplistic person too. It's the peanut butter cup, which is the perfect piece of candy. Um, where you've got two fundamentally different things that you brought together and you were able to create something that was greater than the value of either one of those things individually, even though I'm a fan of both chocolate and peanut butter alone. Um, I do think it's the same thing in this domain. I'm a fan of both Rick and Rishi. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate your insights today. And I do think at least three people are better off for us having had it. Uh, but thank you both for your time. And uh, look forward to collaborating with you. Uh, uh, it's you know, happening today. Looking forward to what we bring to the market tomorrow. And thanks for your time uh, and great insights to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at SSIStrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.